This is John Cackley with Centric Biz and Tech Talks. Today I'm talking with Britt Quaite and Joe Carnes about citizen development. They've done a series of webinars on the topic recently, diving into details about different platforms, how to support citizen development in an enterprise, and so on. But in this chat, we want to provide more of an overview. Good afternoon, Britt. Good afternoon, Joe. How are you guys doing today? I'm great, John. Thanks for having us. Doing terrific. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining. You know, after your webinars, wanted to talk more about citizen development, sort of uh, build up on that. It's a, it's a hot topic lately. I think people would love to hear more and appreciate you uh, taking the time to join on this. So why don't we just get started? You know, how do you define citizen development? Citizen development is this term that's just started to come up in the last couple of years. And I was chuckling to myself when I first heard it, because I don't think it's really anything new. It's just some buzzword that describes what humans have been doing, what humans <laughs> have done since there were humans, and uh-huh. probably a lot of animals as well, which is always trying to improve their situation and use the tools or the resources that they have available to ameliorate their situation. And with citizen development, we're seeing where people who are in a situation in the workplace, but not even always in the workplace, sometimes in their personal lives, being able to use tools, technology, to be able to automate certain processes or to gather information in a way that maybe before they would have had to use something more under the table or have gone to IT. And now we're bringing that into the light. We're adding some structure around it. We're giving them the tools. We're saying we're acknowledging that this is happening and we're acknowledging that this is a need. And we're acknowledging that you should have rights as a worker in a way to be able to have some control over your workday and how things are operating without having IT in all the aspects of what it is that you're doing. And these citizen development platforms have really proliferated to allow people to to do this work in the cloud, which I think is really where that shift started, where people were doing it on servers under somebody's desk. They are now doing it in a much more controlled environment that we've labeled as citizen development. Cool. Now, is this a, a real shift or just a natural evolution from tools like Crystal Reports, uh, Access, InfoPath, and so on? I would say it's a real shift. Okay. Historically, if you look at those uh, types of products you sort of listed out, you know, my career has been over 20 years in IT and I've used them in one form or another over the years. And honestly, they were never intuitive for most Mm -hmm. users, right? Mm -hmm. You look at things like Crystal Reports, especially, or especially SSRS, they were difficult, clunky, difficult to navigate. They were really designed to be leveraged with on-prem technologies using a desktop, you know, versus the way technology is going forward in the future is more cloud-centric, more mobile-friendly. And these new tools, especially around the Power Platform, have really been designed to, to provide that type of experience for, you know, end users as well as citizen developers. You know, I'm going to agree with Joe, but also disagree And one element that I think some of these tools, I think it's the addition of the word citizen to it, 
you know, I can think about a time when people would go into a SharePoint site and there was somebody who knew just enough and they might edit the CSS, let's say, of the page. Mm -hmm. And then that would become the bane of IT if and when they had to upgrade something because it wasn't quite working and that it wasn't working, looking right. And somebody had forgotten that they had even customized the CSS. And adding some government around what was kind of anarchy in a lot of these, and I'm sure this is something we'll talk about quite a bit through this conversation is the sense of governance, right? We're citizens within a something, within this rules that have been set up within the organization that has been given to us to, to do this work. And I think that's something that's really new. So yeah, I think I agree with Joe, but I think there's also been just enough loopholes in a lot of the tools that had been given to people too, to be dangerous. Yeah, I, I, I like what you said a little bit earlier there, Britt, about the idea of having rights to doing things with the data, which is we don't often think of rights in a uh, business or employee employment context a whole lot, but it, it actually makes a lot of sense. You talk about, you know, why shouldn't you have a right to do something efficiently or with, you know, optimally with some some good tools rather than, you know, frankly, I do a lot of this myself with my client right now is I dump a whole lot of stuff in Excel. Could it be done better in many different ways? Probably, but Excel is the only tool I'm given, right? And so having those rights to say, let me do it better. If I know a way to do it better, if I can be enabled to do it better, uh, shouldn't everybody win? So as far as the system development goes, you know, where did you see it come from? Did, did IT sort of push that out? Did the business, where do you think the trend came from? In my experience, this has happened as a result of software as a service and also mm -hmm. migration to the cloud. So where I see technology still heavily on-prem, there isn't an official citizen development capacity often. And I think it's these cloud-based tools that have allowed people to be able to explore that more in a governed way that is more efficient and controlled. And that's not to say that there haven't been centers of excellence around other things like you mentioned crystal reports or even macros in some cases but the ability to get your tentacles into all of the different aspects of an online environment across many different platforms and the apis i think is the big one that's really opened this up where we didn't need to have developers be able to hard code connections between different lines of systems systems particularly things that they were doing that were proprietary we can now use apis that have publicly available connectors um, and that's true of just about any Load code development tool that you use to be able to manipulate data across environments. Maybe is it is it too early to talk about trends in in system development? It seems it seems to me quite new, and you know I know a number of platforms are out there. You mentioned ServiceNow, Salesforce are the two that leap to mind. There are things that I'm familiar with. Is it too early to talk about trends, or is it just it's just sort of finding its way in the marketplace at the moment? I would say you know we've certainly seen a lot of areas you know you mentioned salesforce you mentioned ServiceNow, but especially around the power platform uh, from our clients uh, they've got a lot of interest in it uh, and they have for the past actually you know four or five years now uh, believe it or not but it's been so new and so raw that a lot of our clients haven't 
had a, a big push into it. You know, a lot of them are just trying to, you know, step a foot into the cloud to begin with, let alone trying to wrap their minds around citizen development in general. So I think we're definitely seeing it ramp up tremendously in the past year and a half, especially with COVID, uh, people working remotely, you know, the desire to get more business processes that are remote and mobile friendly and less away from paper. You know, if you've got a complete remote workforce, the need to be able to, to get those custom business processes defined and into an application for your users to use. So as more businesses go remote, stay remote, we're going to see the, the desire for the, the the people who own those business processes be able to translate those into software. Bert, do you want to add anything to that? There are two trends that I think I've been seeing. One of them is a addition of data automation and from process automation, where before we were, I have an email that instead of sending it to all these people and getting approval, I can put it through this system and then there's a dashboard and I can leave that part of me actually having to contact them out of it and automate it. And I think that has been allowed even before the citizen development tools to an extent. But now we're seeing some offerings that allow people to do more automation with data, which is a little bit scary to me, but data mean, like can be hard to data? Manipulating data, organizing data, even maybe some of the data architecture themselves. Mm -hmm. And this is something that's it's at a different level, which leads me to the second trend, which is we see tools that were selling themselves as no code becoming low code and tools that were low code now having offerings where they are higher code. And I know there's a better word for higher code. I just can't, can't think of it right now. Um, we're seeing that it doesn't matter. We, we don't want to isolate IT. And we also understand that, yeah, maybe we can't always let just anybody do anything that they want. So if you are comfortable with Outlook rules and you want to do an automation of an email, that's cool. These tools will let you do it. If you know maybe a little bit of JSON or you want to be able to manipulate an API or write an advanced state machine, that's cool. If you really want to get into relational data and maybe have to write some code, that's cool too. And we're seeing that these tools are really expanding either inwards or outwards the capabilities that they're offering to be marketable to more people in more situations. In addition to that, though, and, you know, I think this is something that people should understand that just because these tools can do these things doesn't mean you should have your users ever doing that ever. <laughs> no, it's true. You know, the right. traditional traditional development should be, you know, more structured, handled by people who understand what they're doing, understand DevOps, understand, you know, how to actually release and test software versus something that a traditional citizen developer developer may be doing. I don't see that going away anytime soon, honestly, and it shouldn't. For for critical business processes, you need critical. Well, it needs to be robust. I think robust is probably a word you're looking for there. Yeah. Well, yeah, you need robust development processes in place 
to ensure that things are good. <laughs> <laughs> right. Your, your enterprise is depending on it. So, yeah, you need more. Absolutely. You know, I listen to the, you know, you come your webinars and as are intrigued by it, I'd love to hear, you know, if you guys have examples, maybe your favorite client examples of seeing citizen development in, you know, in practice in the wild and delivering some value. Do you have a couple of examples? Uh, yeah. So about three years ago, we had a client uh, in the manufacturing industry. He was the chief financial officer for his organization. He reached out to us through the website. He had read one of my blogs and he wasn't looking for us to, you know, build his application form. He had already, you know, done most of the work on it. It was a custom power app to an on-premise Great Plains SQL server. And, but he just wanted advisory support. You know, there were areas he was running into issues, running into errors, and he just wanted someone to look over his shoulder and say, hey, am I doing this right? Is this the best way to go? Is there a better way to do things versus, you know, just him totally fumbling through the entire thing? And he'd actually done a really good job. He had 90% of it himself, and I was able to, you know, just do that extra 10% to get him across the finish line with it. Great. Britt, do you have any uh, success stories? I would talk about some opportunities that we are seeing and moving things from VBA into citizen development. And this is something that I get really jazzed about. I really get excited <laughs> because having written and worked with so many macros, I mean, you don't really write and use those things as much as you swear over them and try to fix them most of the time. So seeing anybody trying to make an effort to recognize that it's time to move from those legacy applications and really getting into opening up the Excel documents. And it's by and large, almost always Excel and trying to say, how can we use these new data visualization and data entry and workflow automation tools to be able to automate that. I mean, I've, I've seen customers that have come in that have hundreds of macros and sometimes they call these things like user-defined applications or used EAs. That's pretty common. And they will have some that are known that are mission critical, even that are part of the business and really tearing those apart and getting those into a way that can be better measured. It's so quick on the ROI on those things. And, and not just even the value, but people's experience of them. It's just, it's a breath of fresh air that they finally are moving at least into the 21st century <laughs> with some of, of how they're operating. Do either of you find yourself advocating at a client, you know, for, hey, I see what you're doing here, but why don't you have citizen development? You know, why why don't you use one of these tools? Do you find yourself advocating for that, or do you you know sort of wait to respond to particular requests on those sort of things? Oh, I I always I mean I, if I find myself having to use a macro and I've <laughs> been there, you know I'll go up the chain as as much as I can to say you know that there's there's tools out there that can do this a lot more effectively, or if somebody comes, sometimes they'll want to they want to make incremental improvements on what they already have. And I, I think you know, probably Joe, and this is something we've seen a lot, that you have to just kind of step them back and say, yeah, I understand why you want to do this, but maybe just get the pain over with. You know, eventually we're going to have to amputate that arm. And so just clearing up the affection is not going to help. And let's just get in there and 
work through it. There's going to be some organizational change management, of course, and there's going to be a lot of on the IT that we have to talk about. But ultimately, this is where things are going. This is where the market is heading, and you don't want to get behind. Better that you make this leap now mm -hmm. than as you know the iceberg is kind of further and further away from where you need it to be. So what are the most common barriers you see to pushes it for citizen development, whether the business is driving for it or whether you're recommending it? You know, what sort of barriers are most common? Governance, for sure. One thing that I've really liked about the citizen development movement is there's a real genuine attempt to get in front of the governance of it, because I think it's in this in the company's own interest to do so, as they know that this is the biggest barrier. And we've seen so many other tools that have been put out in the past that there weren't really any city planners out there before the excavators came, right? And next thing we know, their entire company is showing up with a concrete truck and you don't even know what they're building. Yeah, that's not to say that there aren't like settlements of citizen development here and there, but we're seeing a lot of people coming to us saying, you know, we've heard about the citizen development thing. Help us make sure we don't screw it up. Help us make sure that mm -hmm. we don't end up having some concrete jungle where nobody knows where any of these streets are going. And getting ahead of that and recognizing that to some degree, citizen development is going to be inevitable. So how can we make sure that we do this smart and don't have repeat many of the mistakes or the oversights of our past? Working with IT and the business together. I think is another barrier and, and that's uncomfortable for a lot of people because IT has had their space and the business has had their space and they had very formal channels of working with one another where now we have to have a lot more communication and, and sometimes even different cost structures structures and how things are divided. Joe, anything you'd add to barriers or concerns? Yeah, I would say some of the biggest barriers I've seen is Little to no buy-in from leadership on citizen development. And what I've seen there especially is in order for citizen, develop, citizen development to thrive and grow, you've actually got to invest in your citizen developers who are going to be building these applications. They're going to need training. They're going to need time to build these applications. They're going to need the, the space to be able to, to fail and to be able to correct their mistakes going forward, right? These aren't professional developers. They're people who have shown an interest. And if you don't nurture them along their journey and help them grow with it, it's never going to work. Right. Are there attributes maybe of organizations where citizen development is going to thrive better than some other places? I think that there's an organization that has a strong culture of innovation and it's one thing to say we're innovative right? what company doesn't say that and understanding that if we don't innovate we die but putting your money where your mouth is like joe was saying and coming up with innovation incubators or programs and i'm i'm not suggesting that all citizen development needs to go through that but i think having a company that's made that type of investment already to say that there are things that we need to do above and beyond what's needed day to day to keep the lights on is a good place that I would imagine citizen development would, would thrive. Yeah, it's not enough just to buy the tools. You need to invest in your employees as well. Right. And yeah, I know you covered a lot of this with the webinar, but you know, in terms of getting started, there's 
putting the governance in place, it's buying the tools, it's, you know, we talk a lot about a, a center of excellence. Uh, and a center of excellence doesn't have to be that formal, does it? I mean, it just can be, it could be somebody with office hours, right? Or, or does it need to be more structured? What do you think? It doesn't have to be. You can, you know, you can have it very informal, like you said, just a, a person with some office hours. You know, here's some some guidelines. Here's some advice. Here's some places you can go to get training. Or it could be formal, a full team of people who are training and administering and providing project management and business analysis and guidance to all of the citizen developers. So it can run an entire spectrum for whatever size you want to scale this to. Um, and, you know, depending on the type of citizen development platform you're using, hopefully they've provided at least some tools that will allow you to incorporate that into your center of excellence as well. Sort of those platforms, do they offer training on citizen development or on, or is it just training on their, on their basic tools? Yeah, absolutely. I haven't seen any of the platforms that has haven't offered training. Um, it's obviously in those companies' best interest to get this in as many hands as possible. So it's usually extremely, you know, easy to access. Like the Power Platform, for example, there's numerous different pl- places you can go to get training around all the different aspects of the platform. And it's very intuitive and very easy to pick up. Um, Microsoft especially does a very good job of trying to make it as simple as possible for, for users to be able to learn. Brett, what else do you see in terms of, you know, getting started and, and tools to, to build off of? Going back to the COE, an important element of this that's going to lead to success is the ability of people within it, whether they are in IT or the citizen developers or the people who are benefiting from these tools to have a lot of momentum to be able to self-promote and to be able to almost advertise what it is that they're doing to be able to prove the success of the tools. So it's one thing to work on these things under the covers, but with a good COE, you would have some statistics to be able to raise to leadership to say, look at the efficiencies that we're gaining in these processes, look at where we maybe have op- other opportunities for further automation and getting people excited about joining the citizen development movement within their companies. Right. Yeah, Joe, you were mentioning something a couple minutes ago about the difficulty of you know, the challenge of buy-in. And I can imagine the you'd have a problem with buy-in of you know executives, CIO, for example, saying, this is almost too low level of an issue to be interested in or too low level of a solution. And so like, I don't, I don't care what people are doing down there. It's not important to me. I can imagine that. Is that something that you've seen? You know, honestly, from a CIO perspective, I think we see a lot more buy-in from them. It tends to be more around the other C-suite executives, right? So especially when you're talking about citizen development, it's not necessarily going to be IT developing these, you know, you may have, uh, you know, people from accounting, people from, you know, your logistics or whatever other department that might be, and really getting the buy-in from the heads of those departments, Mm -hmm. because they're the, they're the ones who are going to need to be able to approve the the type of time that it'll, it'll, that these users will need to be able to develop these solutions. So I think getting buy-in from not just, IT, but the entire organization, you know, at least at the very top, is where you're going to have the most success long term. Okay. I'm going to turn this whole thing sideways on you guys. 
But one thing I hear every so often is that various tools, whether it's machine learning or low-code, no-code solutions, are actually going to replace you know, your, your traditional programmers, DevOps, you know, actual uh, software engineering element. As the tools for system development developers get better and better, do you see that convergence from the programmers, you know, 10, 20 years down the road to the point where we can't tell the difference anymore? Or do you think there's always going to be this province for the professional software engineer? I think it depends. In my opinion, the nice thing about obviously low code, no code is they're easy to use, but there also is a barrier to cost. You know, when you talk about licensing these tools and the use cases around them, these aren't necessarily going to be applications you're going to build for consumer consumption, right? You're not going to build a Facebook mobile app and deploy it to a billion users. So in that case, I think traditional development in those types of use cases will carry on, right? You're going to have developers creating things entirely from scratch that are wholly unique and are going to be valuable to their customers versus traditional low-code, no-code type applications, which I think will be more business internal or more useful internally to employees and maybe, you know, B2B type scenarios versus external to the world. Okay. Britt, what are your thoughts? I think there's always something else. And I, I remember when we had a calculator and it could add, subtract, multiply, and divide. And that was pretty cool. And then <laughs> someone said, well, if it can do all of this, why can't it take a tangent? And so somebody made a calculator that could take a tangent. Well, if it can take a tangent, why can't we have something that can help us explore what the 1,500,000, you know, so a digit of pi is going to be? Or, other, you know, there's always just going to be more. And we're seeing with these tools that you can start to explore things like machine learning, sentiment analysis. Well, somebody has to figure all of that out. Somebody has to help be training these machines. And maybe we're getting into an area where it's not software development and I'm talking decades away, but we're talking about continuing to enhance these tools and also making them in such a way that they can be consumed and utilized by people who don't have those skill sets. So I, I only see an expansion of people into technology where in a way, like everyone's a salesperson, the new idiom's going to be everyone is a developer because even at home with all these smart things around us, we're having to program them or get them to talk to one another. And there's a certain, just to function in the modern world, amount of technical know-how that you need. And it, it started with, do you know how to send an email? Do you know how to send an IM? And now it's going to be, do you know how to use these tools? But there's going to need to be people who are maintaining these tools, who are improving on these tools, who are adding functionality, things that we can't even talk about on this discussion mm -hmm. today because I don't know what they are. But we will at some point, and somebody's going to, to figure that out. Cool. Cool. I appreciate that. This has been Centric Biz and Tech Talks. Thanks to Joe and Britt for talking with me today, and thanks for listening.